Fellas, is your beard on swole and you're looking for products to help maintain it? Or are you just starting your beard journey? Either way, check out The Trap Crate at www.trapcrate.com. Again, www.trapcrate.com. There you'll find beard products and natural soaps. So again, thetrapcrate.com, www.trapcrate.com. Testing, testing, black man renaissance. This is black man renaissance. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Black Man Renaissance. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited about this episode. Um, and this came from a conversation that I was having with a friend the other day, or the other week rather. And he was, you know, I was saying that, he was saying that he never had a black teacher or a black male teacher to be exact. Um, so, and then that got me to thinking, I said, man, I, I had this teacher way back in the day and he's hard to forget. Actually, uh, when I told people that I was going to uh, have this podcast with you, they sent me a whole bunch of messages, which I'm going to I'm going to read to you later. <laughs> but no, they're, they're all wow. good messages, all good messages, man. But everybody has like this. This positive experiences with you, um, you know, I want to introduce you to Dr. Patrick Hardy. What's up, Mr. Noel? Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Yes. I can call him Mr. now, y'all. I got to call him Mr. <laughs> I can't call him Steve like I used to. You know, it's got to be Mr. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, you know, it's funny. I really have a bad memory, but it's funny because I remember the first day I met you. Really? Yes, yes, yes. It must have been like second period. I know it wasn't first period. It's probably like second or third period. And you start introducing yourself. You know, I'm Patrick Hardy. I'm from Chicago. Um, oh, you got it. You got but, the memory. Look at you. Go ahead. But then, but, th but then you told this story. You said, hey, I think you went to Xavier. I went to Xavier University, New Orleans, Louisiana. My, my undergraduate right. alma mater, beloved. Go ahead. Okay. And then um, you, you said, you remember being at this gas station in the Ninth Ward. And you the remember that it was night. the Ninth? The you said you remember that it was the ninth ward because they had a song where they said, Ward nine, where we ain't afraid of dying. The lower <laughs> nine, where we don't mind dying. There we go. Yes, sir. There we go, man. Sir. Like I, from that point on, I'm like, yo, this is gonna be a good class. Cause you know it's crazy because I've had black teachers before that. Yes, sir. But they weren't they weren't memorable. They 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 you know what the word is? They weren't relatable. Fair. And Fair. I and I find I find that a lot of my former co-students, you know, yeah, um, yeah. they the, the thing about you was you were relatable. Like they 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 felt like they were you and you were them at some point. Um, and I think that that's 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 very important. So if you don't mind, you know, tell us about your beginnings. Uh. Steve, thanks so much for having me again. This is an absolute honor and pleasure. Um, uh, 
I don't get to see a lot of people from West Roxbury High School, where where uh, one of the first places I started out. Um, so it's so cool to be with you. Thank you so much. You already told told your audience, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Um, some of the typical things in the story: abusive dad, single mom. I was born on the west side of Chicago. Uh, my mom had to pack us up. We tried to leave my dad, who was beating the crap out of all of us, um, and was just, he was terrible. And so my mom, we did what poor people could do, man. We ran from the west side <laughs> to the south side. We couldn't run from the west side to another country or to mm -hmm. another state. We just, we, we got as far away as we could. We moved to an area that you may have heard of on the news and other places. We moved in with a friend of my mom's in Inglewood, the neighborhood known as Inglewood in Chicago. And uh, we lived on 63rd and Walcott uh, in Inglewood. All the Chicagoans will know exactly where I'm talking about. Um, my, my father came and found us, man. Uh, and he beat my mother inside that house, made us go back to the west side of Chicago with him. My mother ran again. And uh, we ran further south to 96th in Michigan. Um, and we were able to stay out there for a while. Uh, I won't get too deep off into it right now, uh, but my uncle Ernest, who I beloved, I love him dearly. He saved our lives. Uh, my mother had nine brothers and sisters. She never told anybody we were being abused. When she finally told her brother Ernest, we call him Uncle Sonny, uh, my, my uncle came to the house, man, and he stayed at that house. And he was waiting for my father to show up again. Now, I want to be clear about how he was waiting. He was waiting with a case of Chevys and a pistol. And his position was, I'm going to jail. You've been beating my sister. I'm going to jail. Well, as, as, as luck, God, whatever you believe in would have it. Uh, I never saw my father again. He never came back to the house. Why did I share that with you? Because it tells you what my experience was like with men. And so, uh, uh, um, I went off to college. I was blessed. If you want to come back to that on how that happened, um, I went to school to uh, be a doctor. Um, I don't know if you ever knew that. Uh, my pastor in Chicago, Dr. Horace Smith, uh, MD. Uh, I had a black man who's a pastor of what at the time was considered a mega church, a church of thousands on the south side of Chicago, uh, the Apostolic Faith Church. And he's a real doctor, right? I'm 16, 15 years old. Like This guy's got MD behind his name. And I was fascinated with that. My music teacher's husband was a dentist. I worked in high school for a dentist. Dr. Lee Joseph Moore, one of the, one of the first black men in my life to tell me I could ever do anything, brought me an application to Xavier University and said, you're going to college. This is the school you're going to. He gave me no options. He made the plan. You're going to be a pharmacy major. And then you're going to go to medical school. I didn't know no better. I was like, OK. And so I get down to Xavier. Now, I'm a church boy, if you didn't figure that out. The uh, gospel choir at Xavier University, uh, the director at the time, got to give that brother a shout out, Mitchell Stevens. What's up, Mitch? If you, if you ever catch this podcast, said, hey, Patrick, he and a guy named Anthony said, we want you to come and be one of the choir directors. We heard you were a choir director in Chicago. Come help us with the gospel choir. I did that. The faculty advisor to the gospel choir was the chairperson at the university of the education department. And he kept whispering in my ear, you should go into education. We need you in education. He had his reasons for that. Maybe you and I'll come back to that. I don't know. Um, 
I did some tutoring at a school in the community. The principal told us, you really can't help these kids, but we're glad that you're here. Uh, Steve, all those kids looked like you and me. They were young black men. And the principal of the school, hear what I'm telling you, said, we're glad you're here, but you really can't help these, these boys. I went to Dr. Blanchard. His name is Dr. Lauren Blanchard. He's still my mentor to this day. And I said, I, I need to change my major. I stopped being a science major uh, that week, that day, I don't remember. Uh, and I changed my major to education. Uh, the rest is history. Um, I never I never looked back. Um, and that's that's how I ended up in education. I was a teacher. As you well know, I was a teacher. Um, I moved back home to Illinois and I started my administrative career as an assistant principal. I've been an assistant superintendent. Um, I have a passion for being the principal. I'm here at the historic Proviso East High School, a school that was abandoned, I'd argue, probably in the 1980s. Um, and our people were here suffering. Someone hit me to it and said, would you be willing to go help? I was willing to come and try to contribute something. And I've been here for six years. That's the story. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it has quite some history though. Yeah. It's a, it's, it was quite a journey. And, uh, I'll give you some, some cool facts about Pro Proviso East. Uh, you might've heard names like, uh, uh, Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton, graduate. I got, in fact, I got his yearbooks. They're sitting right over there in hold this. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. What year? What year? All right. What year did he graduate? And, late who, and who else? It, late well, 66, uh -huh. to be exact. Yeah. And who who was his classmate? That uh, we I, don't, I don't. I he had a bunch of them, and I actually have met a few. I don't know which one you're referring to. Sheila Johnson, BET. Yep, Sheila Johnson is in our Wall of Fame, and she's in our Hall of Fame here at Proviso East, the co-founder of BET. Check this out. I am the principal at Proviso East, where Sheila Johnson graduated, co-founder of BET. I was also the principal at Freeport High School in Illinois, where her husband graduated, the co-founder no. of BET. Yeah, man, I was in both spots, bro. Both spots. <laughs> uh, you know what? Oh, Doc Rivers also went there. Michael Finley, Glenn Doc Rivers, Donnie Boyce, who's my head basketball coach right now from the Atlanta right. Hawks, Sherelle Ford. I could go on. And they oh, were, man. yeah, man, those people struggled when they they found out that the school had a graduation rate uh, uh, in, in the 50s, 55 percent the day I walked in. Um, test scores in the bottom. Uh, if you were to Google Proviso East at the time, a whole bunch of articles would come up with SWAT teams, mob fights. I looked at that and I said, oh man. Uh, and, and here's what helped me make my decision. Uh, Cause I wasn't gonna come at first. Um, I was at the University of Chicago. I was a leadership coach, coaching high school principals. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. They released the video of Laquan McDonald being shot. And I watched that video and I said, I have to do something different than what I'm doing. And there are a bunch of potential Laquan McDonald's walking around Proviso East. And I was driving home and one of my fraternity brothers, uh, he, they were replaying a eulogy that Al Sharpton uh, did of Mike Brown. And I can't remember the whole thing, Steve, but here is what he kept saying. What are you going to do? He, he used his Bible scripture about the Good Samaritan and the guy was laying in the street and nobody would help. And the analogy was that Mike Brown was laying in the street and he kept this refrain. What are you going to do while Mike Brown lay in the street? What is your Mike Brown? It's laying there. Are you going to do anything or are you going to walk by? 
And Proviso East is my Mike Brown. I couldn't, I could not walk by. I could not be the person who saw the man dying on the highway. I knew in my car, I was gonna try to get this job and try to help. Uh, six years later, we've got about a 23, 24% increase in the graduation rate. We're up closer to 80% now. We're not at that 90% mark. I can't say we worked a miracle, but we came from the 50s, uh, closer to 80, I think it's 76 and change to be precise. Um, we're seeing the kind of growth you wanna see on the SAT. We haven't hit the mark yet, but we're seeing that growth just in our last practice exams, another 20 point gain. Now we didn't hit the goal, but we got another 20 point gain. We reduced the suspensions at our school by 87%. Uh, we don't have a bunch of discipline problems anymore. Uh, we reduced our expulsions by 100%. We don't expel students anymore. Um, right. When I right. walked in, there was only one advanced placement class for uh, 1,700, 1,600 students. Today, there are about 17 AP classes. When I walked in, there were six clubs and activities for all the students here. It was pathetic. We now have 52 clubs and activities. I'm telling you, we can be the Good Samaritan. We can pick the guy up off the street, put him in the hotel, right? And, and we can pay the cost and we can try to help. And it's been such an interesting journey and I've loved every second of it. Now, what goes into planning these changes? Uh, a lot of drinking. Uh, no, I just <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a lot of late nights going. What? So uh, the short version, because I talked a lot on those other two questions. The short version, Steve, is um, I'm not from this community. Now, the school is in the Chicagoland area, but I'm not from Maywood. And I haven't worked in Maywood. So I spent the first eight months of my time here listening. I did not walk in with my Harvard degree, my Xavier degree, two doctorates and say, I know all the answers for this community. And if it helps, I'm black and I know everything about black people, right? I didn't play that game. I came in and I spent time with the clergy, uh, the Proviso Township Ministers Alliance, Bishop Sappho and others, and I listened listen to people in the business community. I listen to the faculty and staff. I talk with students. And here was the essential question, uh, to, especially to the parents and grandparents and responsible adults. If you could change Proviso East today for your child, for your student, what would you want the school to look like? And what would you want that profile of the graduate to look like? What skills, what talents would they walk out with? And uh, they came up with 15 things. If you could give us these 15 things, we believe we could change this high school. And then my job was to work with the faculty and staff here and try to figure out how we create a model that gives them those 15 things. Cause it's not our school, it's their school. It's their community. I drive home every day. I don't live in the community. Like so many educators, we drive out of the community back to our homes. I wanted to give them a school that they wanted. And now let's be clear. I made it clear to them you say what you need to say in your words and then trust me and my team to try to figure out how to make that education related. You know, and let me give you an example. One lady said, we got to teach all the kids karate. This is a dangerous neighborhood. They all got to learn karate. Right. Yeah. And okay, so I get what you're saying. I'm not going to do that. But how can I translate that into something that we can actually do? Um, and so we came up we came up with a plan. We put that plan into place. We took it back to the community. 
Um, and the Board of Education voted unanimously uh, to implement the plan. The community came out to the Board of Education meeting and said, hey, that's not the principal's plan, that's our plan. And we've been working on this for eight months. And uh, if, if you have time and want to know one, one or two of the things that we did, we can talk about that. But uh, what I did was I listened to the people. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so you, 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 you were talking about the, the, the karate aspect of it. So what did you do? What did you do when you're in your fashion to kind of go to that? Let's go to that. Yeah, I'll make it a little more broad for you. Right. So parents asked us, they said, why do you all keep giving kids tests? when you know they're not ready for the tests. And you and I, I did it to you when I was your teacher. You took the test on Friday. You know why you took the test on Friday? Because it was Friday. And we give tests on Fridays, if you remember, mm -hmm. right? It didn't have anything to do with whether you were ready for the test. It was in high school, you get a bunch of tests on Fridays. And parents were saying, look, you know my kid didn't do the homework. You know my kid didn't do the assignment. Well, why do you keep doing that? Um, they said, why can't you give us a school that um, lets kids move where they are at their pace? You know, my kid's a little slower or my kid's a little faster. Um, why can't you do that? So, um, and then the third one, they said, we need a school that fosters our students' interests and schools don't do that. Y'all teach our kids what you want them to know but you're not fostering their interest. So I'll give you two things that we did because I know your time is, you know, I'm trying to be respectful. No, so I'll give you two things. That, yes, sir. We did two things and both of them are huge. Um, the first one was we divided our school into college and career readiness academies. Our students come in in ninth grade. They come into the ninth grade academy. That's their transition to high school. We're going to try to make sure you're on track in your ninth grade year, because if we get you on track to graduate in your ninth grade year, we got you. So how do we help you adjust? Mid midway through your ninth grade year, you have to select an academic academy that you're going to enroll in in your sophomore year. So do you want to go to our arts and communications academy, our business and human services academy, or our STEM academy? And once you're in one of those academies, what pathway do you want to pursue in the STEM Academy? Do you want to pursue engineering in the business and human services Academy? Do you want to pursue the culinary pathway and take those that pathway of courses? And so we allow students to say, what am I interested in? Where do I think I want to go? They don't have to be married to it. People change their minds, but at least you can get a start on what your interests are. And there's all kinds of models of academies out there and a bunch of research, we were able to bring that back to the community and say, is this what you're asking us for? They said, yeah, that'll work, Doc, chase that. So that's one thing we did. The second one was a little harder and more, more, I wanna say more powerful, but I'm not sure that's the right word I'm looking for. We went after a systemic change. My stance, my faculty stance is, public education continues to fail students of color all over the nation. So we're not going to put a Band-Aid on it. We're not going to ask for more tutoring, more SAT prep. How about this? How about we just destroy the system and build another one? Okay, well, how are we going to do that? 
So we transitioned from traditional education to competency-based education. I'll give you an example of what that means. When I graded you in high school, you got an A, a B, a C. I'm going to tell your audience, I don't remember if Steve got no Ds and Fs, but he probably <laughs> did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he probably didn't in my class, right? I, I, I didn't let too much of that go. But uh, can you tell me in your mind, I'll, I'll ask you a question. I know you're interviewing me. Okay. What's an A? If you get an A in a class, what does that represent? Uh, isn't it isn't it based on it's numbers, right? Man, you hit the nail on the head. All an A means is depending on what school you went to, you got a ninety to a hundred. Right. That's all that means, right? And what in the world does that tell you? See, I got those 90s to 100s, and then when I got to Xavier, I still had to take remedial math, and I still had to take remedial English because high school did not prepare me for my first year of college. So we don't give A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's. We give a score one, two, three, or four. When you look at that score three, which is what you must have, a two, isn't that doesn't even mean anything to us. When you look at the score three, the language tells you it's not a number. It's actual words. It says that in order to do a successful podcast, you have to be able to hit record, hit stop, make sure the volume is appropriate, ask three critical thinking questions and get at least 30 minutes of answers out of the person you're interviewing. If you can do those things, you get the score three. Not a 70, which doesn't tell you anything, an 80 or a 90. Do what we said. Do what the standard tells you that you should be able to do. You get your score three. Watch this. Score four. So if a score three is what you have to do, what's a score four? In our world, the score four is honors. Now, why am I giving you this example? Because in that system, the score four honors is available to every single student in every single class. How did that dismantle a racist prejudice system? Because now I'm not depending on a white counselor to, with their implicit biases about me to not even place me in the honors class. I ain't even get the chance. Mm. Now, see, we took that out of the, out the one. I didn't argue with white people about whether they're biased or not. I just said, you don't even get the choice. It's going to be available. That score four is available in every class across the board. You earn the score four, you will earn the honors designation for that class. I'll give you one more example of how we dismantled the system. When I was your teacher, you took a final exam. If I remember right, that final exam was worth some huge, ridiculous percentage of your grade. Right. So now you sitting at the test. You remember what that felt like? You know, this is worth 50 percent of your grade. Right. Remember what that did to you. Right? right. And so you know what happens. Students don't perform well. Some students perform exceptionally well. And what it would do for a lot of students who look like me, who came from poverty, it that score would negate all the learning you demonstrated before that because it was weighted at so much. Here is what we did. We said, let's destroy the system and build another. We don't do final exams and we don't do weighted grades. Mm. If the student has earned the score three all the way through, 
they've earned their score three on all the standards. At final exam time, we use that time to work on any score twos you may have where you might not have reached the mark. Why would we give you an exam with questions and content for score twos where we already know you were not at a score three? What are we testing you for? Right. So we took that out of the game. You're not going to do that to, to these kids anymore. You're going to help them during that week of final exam time to pull those score twos up. And I can give you other examples of why competency-based education was our model. But those are the two things. That's two things we did with what parents, the community business leaders, everybody asked us to do. We divided into academies, gave students the opportunity to pursue their interests, and we are absolutely destroying public education. Steve, I got to give you two more. Our students don't earn credits to graduate. 22 credits. Then I lie to the public at graduation and say, I certify, remember me standing in an arena as a principal, I certify that the students before you have met the graduation requirements of Boston Public Schools. When I know doggone well, I'm about to shake the hands of some black, some young black men, right? that earned a bunch of Ds and weren't ready to leave. See, they just passed, so they earned the credit. But in my world, you have to demonstrate competency in the standard. And we're not just gonna let you loose on the world with a bunch of score two. It, we have a little mantra here. We say score three or see me. Mm. See, we're not gonna let you ride because you just passed, or check this out, athletic eligibility. My competitors, their, their boys only got to get a D and pass five classes. What? My boys? Well, that's what? all over the country. You just have to pass. You just have to be at passing. My boys have to demonstrate competency in their classes or they're not eligible to bounce the ball or throw the ball or wrestle on the mat. But it's a higher standard because we believe there's something more going on. Maybe we'll come to that as to why this education is so important and we cannot continue to perpetuate a public education system that sends young students of color, and in my case, particularly young black men, into the world with a bunch of Ds and Cs, right? They earn that C, 70 to 79, but the knowledge they actually needed, the language of the score three, they never got it. They just answered 70 questions on the 100, in question, on the 100 question test. Mm -hmm. That's all they did. And some of those they guessed on. So we make it a little more difficult, a little more rigorous, but we believe that's good for our community. I'm so sorry to talk so long, but I hope you got a little something here, man. But you, uh, so you changed the grading model. So how does that work into the GPA? Yeah, there's a calculation for GPA. That that I mean, that's the short answer. We still calculate GPA because my students must be able to compete for college, right? All right, let me give you an example. Let me let me give you an example. Let's translate this. Okay. A score three in my world, right? That's what you need. In the traditional world, you get an A, B, C, D, or F. Now watch these two things. If your student earns a score three, and I was supposed to translate that to a traditional grade, an A, B, C, D, or F, what grade do you think that should be? If the student did exactly what the standards said or better, what grade should they get in the traditional world? Uh, a, B, C, D, or F? Uh, if they got four, three. So is that, are, are we talking about uh, above or proficient? We're talking about they, they demonstrated the score three. 
Now, somebody says to you, is that an A, a B, a C, a D, or F? What grade is that? This was a struggle for our teachers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I would say B. Why? If I do exactly what you told me to do, right. why are you giving me a B? What other hoop are you making me jump to? What else you want me to do to get an A? I did exactly what the standard said. But you, you, you also gave four as a number, right? That's honors. Okay. So, that's so what, is, what is what does honors translate to into the tra in the traditional sense? That's it. That's an A or A plus, right? No, it's honors. You get an A in the class, but it was an honors class. So on your GPA, it's weighted. You get more points on your GPA. It's the same in my world. You get the three, but if you can earn that four, you get the honors designation. So your grade is going to be weighted. Here's the here's the answer. Here's the hard struggle, right? And and I, I would argue. Mr. Noel, that the reason you and I struggle with the question is because we've been conditioned. Mm. We've been conditioned that there must be another hoop you want me to jump through. Right. I'm a black male. If I do exactly what you say, that's an A. It's the highest grade. I did exactly what you asked me to do. Now, if I can go deeper and richer, right? You go ahead and give me that honors designation. I want that weighted, but it translates to an A because I met the standard. Why do I have to exceed the standard to get an A? See, we've been conditioned to do that in this in this public education system. So now watch this. Now, this is crazy. If a three translates to an A in a traditional system and my students must earn a three. Right. What's the GPA all my students must graduate with? An A is a four points. So if they have to have straight A's, all threes, to graduate, that means my students have to have a 4.0 or better to walk out the door. And the or better comes with the honors weighted and advanced placement weighted. But we're not playing this game at Proviso East about you got a 2.8, a 2.7, can't get no scholarship, can't get, like we're not playing those games anymore. It's score three. Bring that on home. We're going to hold on to you till you get it. Right. And we're going to help you and we're going to we're going to coach you and we're going to do everything we can to support you. And if I have to translate that, you've earned the highest grade possible. Now, I hope and we're going to encourage you to go for the score four and go ahead and get those additional weighted points on your GPA. But this is great. And, and let, watch this now. Not only are some of your listeners struggling with what I'm saying, but I can tell you. Prejudice and racist white people do not want to see me implement a system in this way. Mm. Why? Why? Because my students' parents can't afford to remember the, remember the college scandal. Scandal. They don't have right. a million dollars to pay the guy. Right. <laughs> see, we're not going to cheat the system. We're just going to send our students ready. Mm. We're going to send them ready. We we can't afford to cheat. Not my kid. We're a hundred percent free and reduced lunch here. Everybody's poor. Right. They can't pull out that checkbook. So what's my part in this political fight? Send my kids ready and make sure they're competitive for every financial opportunity. I don't care if it's the NAACP, you know, uh, Black Enterprise, BET, whoever's offering the scholarship, make sure they're competitive. But it's an honest competitive. And, and folks struggle, as I said, because we've been conditioned that there must be something else that we as a people have to do. We jumping through every hoop, including the ones they don't have to jump through. Not only did I get the score three 
but I walked through one of the worst neighborhoods to get to school. I dealt with some stuff at home you don't even want to talk about. I'm jumping through every hoop. Then you tell me there's something more? You sitting here struggling to say I earned the A? I earned your A and then some. Because I did me showing up, I did a whole lot just showing up. Hungry, cold. I mean, we deal with some real issues here. And our freshmen come in and they say, man, this is too hard. Our juniors say, why did y'all wait so long? Okay. <laughs> because they realize, oh, I got it now. I got it now. I'm understanding why you keep forcing me, forcing me to get this knowledge. It, it's it's really interesting, man. But it's 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 straight up. I, I, I'm sorry to use such provocative language. And then I'm not sorry. We intend to, at least for our part of the world, we intend to absolutely dismantle a racist public education system and rebuild it to the, from the ground up where it is equitable for everyone. The first public school in America was founded in the 1600s. Do you remember what our people were doing if they were in this country in the 1600s? Right. That school wasn't founded for us. It was founded for white males. The first school for girls didn't come till 100 years later. Public schools were not founded for slaves, the descendants of slaves, bilingual immigrants, girls or students with special needs. And it's the one industry where everybody, including the conditioned, we fight against changing it. Man, that stuff Dr. Hardy just described with, on, on the podcast, that don't sound like school I went to. That don't sound like the school I went to because it shouldn't. <laughs> we don't want to go to the school you went to. <laughs> go ahead. So, so you, like you're, you're reinventing the wheel, so to speak, within, your, within the confines of your, of your uh, institution, Pro Provisor East, right? But Proviso East. So how does that translate? Don't they have to take uh, like a state mandated exam to pass? Of course they do. Okay. Of course they do. We're still being judged the way every other school is. And so, all right, so let's just work a simple example again. That score three language that's in our biology classes for every topic that we're, we're going over, we're saying here is the score three for this standard. Here's the score three. Okay. We're making sure that we're hitting those topics that are going to appear on the SAT. We're not teaching separate from the SAT. We're examining our topics and saying, what are the questions that are being asked? In, in, in the state science assessment, we know it focuses on biology. Okay, so what are the topics that are going to come up in biology? Are we hitting those in our competency-based courses? We know that uh, the SAT has an emphasis on linear equations and our integrated math, are those, are we making sure that we're hitting those topics? And that's how we're seeing that growth on the SAT. Now, remember what I said, we haven't hit the mark yet. I, I, I took over a school that was experiencing extremely difficult challenges. And so that's how we're seeing that year over year growth is because we're focusing as many of our topics as we can in class we're aligning them to the assessment. The second thing we're doing, we're asking the questions the way the assessment asks the questions. So the SAT, for example, asks two part questions and you have to get both parts right in order to get the answer right. So why are we not asking two part questions right here at the high school? Don't put no multiple choice in for, ask me a two part question. What was the author's main idea? What is your evidence? Your evidence has to be right 
and the author's main idea has to be right. So we, we're trying hard every year to further align the way we assess our students to the way that they assess. Why are we doing that? Because they can't see that for the first time on the SAT, especially students of color or any student that has test anxiety. If it's the first time they've ever seen it, we've already lost part of the battle. So we're trying to make sure they see those types of questions and they're seeing that content explicitly stated, not a number, 70, 80, 90, explicitly stated, right? Can you solve a two-part linear equation this way? We're making you sure you see that from ninth grade all the way through 11th grade when they have to take it. So we are trying to make those alignment. Man, you ask loaded questions. You better ask me a question I can answer with yes or no, or we gonna be here all night. <laughs> so they, they, said, they said the average black boy in America reads at the fourth grade level? Yeah, there are some studies that say that. We've seen some other work that says uh, uh, the third grade. And then when you get down to individual schools, um, my average income reading level, all school, check this out, really scare you. To this day, my average income incoming reading level is fifth grade, all school. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, so would you so would you say that's average or above average? No, they should be reading. An incoming ninth grader should be reading at least on a ninth grade level. Sir, you just asked me about the state exam. The state exam is at an eleventh grade reading level. If I get them with a fifth grade reading level, are you really asking me to catch up six reading levels in three years? That's that's public high schools with urban variables like mine. Man, you asking a lot, but we have to come to the work and we have to tackle it. So no, it's below average, right? It's below. No, forgive me, forgive my speech. Our average is below what it should be. We should be at the ninth grade level or better when they walk in the door. They're walking in the door. They can't even read the content. To, to comprehend it that we're putting in front of them. Right. And so we, we're already, it's why high schools like mine, we still have reading programs in high school. It's because we're, 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 we're dealing with that struggle. Go ahead. All right. So this all starts at home. So what can we do within the household to foster, you know, a, a good education, a, a, a love for education? Man, I don't know the answer to that. If I knew the answer to that, I I wouldn't even be on your podcast. I'd be on an island enjoying the royalties from my book. Like I, I think there's so many. Listen, the the situations that students of color and I, I I'm, I'm focused on them. I, I know you didn't ask me a students of color question just now, but um, the, the the issues are so complex, and every household may need a different thing. So, so broadly, broadly, I wish, right? I wish every black parent understood the importance of making sure their student put down the device and had quiet time and was reading or creating. In my household, I'm a father of three daughters. My students, they were reading by the time they entered kindergarten. They are, listen, we have kindergarten students in our community who walk into kindergarten already behind because they, they cannot 
they cannot recognize in writing their ABCs. We think teaching them the song was good enough. A, B, C, D, E. Listen, y'all, listen, listen at Patrick sing the song. Yeah, but when they see the letter A, do they know what it looks like? Can they identify it? Um, we have kindergartners who cannot write their name in our community, wow. right? I've had students, I was a K-8 principal. I had students who didn't know their name. You're standing in the gymnasium saying, Steve, Steve. Okay, Stevenson Noel, where are you? Where are you, Steve? And then the boy had been called Man Man for so long. He thought that was his name. That was what he was used to answering to. We, we, like they did, we have students that can't write their name coming into kindergarten, so they're already behind. So I wish every parent, I wish every parent understood in this digital world, don't just stick that device in your kid's hand so that you don't have to deal with them or because it's cool or whatever. Take the device away. My kids at home, my, I didn't have to, I didn't do everything right. But when they heard the words quiet time, they knew what that meant. Put it all away. Pick up some art paper. Draw something. Let that creative mind come out. Turn the television on. Go, go. We actually made our kids play. Like, go play. Be creative. And so when my daughter, Caitlin, is singing on the praise and worship team at church, is excelling in the art class, and just scored a five on our AP world history test is because we were developing both sides of that brain. I wish that um, we in our household would eliminate certain uh, 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 derogatory and defaming language in our homes mm -hmm. so that our kids came to school with courage and faith and hope. Saying certain things to them, which I won't repeat on your po podcast. You know some of the horror stories, and I'm not. I'm not trying to say all parents do this, and I, I hope the audience understands. I'm just trying to answer the question, and we know we have great parents that are doing really great things out there. Um, we, I wish I have a very good fraternity brother. Uh, shout out to Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Um, my brother Ifani Okonkor, Doctor Ifani Okonkor, he taught me some of the differences between our country and his country, black man. In, in his country, it was what college are you going to? In our world, we're still trying to say all kids don't have to go to college. We're talking about black people. Letting that be said to, their, to, to our children. Well, you know, it's not for everybody. Yes, it is for, for our people. Now, what you do with that degree, do whatever you want to do with it after you get it. But they've been trying to keep us from this from the very beginning, whether it was don't educate them, they're slaves, or whether it was the law, or whether it was lynching, or whether it was segregation, or whether it was under-resourced schools. Now it's a soft touch. Now there's no burning cross in the yard. They're not saying to you, you know, if you come back to this school, we're going to kill your whole family. They're not throwing bricks. Now it's a soft touch. Hey, you know, college isn't for everybody with a smile, right? With a smile. It's not for everybody. And watch the okie doke, right? At the same time now, there are politicians saying we should make state colleges free for everybody. And in the same sentence telling you, you don't even have to go. Hmm. Like we're falling for all, man. Anyway, there are people out here who can articulate those types of issues much better than me. I don't make those statements to my students. 
I tell every Latino student at Provisoes and every African-American student, that's that's primarily my school. I think I have a very small percentage of, percentage of other, other, other uh, ethnic groups here. It, we are all going to college. Now you can do the post-secondary option of your choice. My encouragement is choose college. When a racist is telling you don't go to college, that's probably the thing you should be doing. Right, right, right. Now, uh, I was I was listening to uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins the other week, and you familiar with him? No, I'm not very familiar. Okay, so he's a he's a he's a brother that um talks about you know financial uh, literacy and stuff stuff of that matter. But you know, he got into a diatribe about um you know you have Puff yeah Puff Daddy who started a school or a couple of schools, Jalen Rose in Detroit, um, uh, LeBron in Oakland and uh. Sorry, Ohio, okay. and, and uh, Russell Westbrook's about to open up a school in, in LA. So he was saying that why don't they come together and start a system of schools? What's what's your opinion on that? Oh instead man, of, I, instead of doing everything individually, let's just do a system. Yeah, I I don't know that it has to be either or though. Mm -hmm. Right, we can do both. Black okay. people are smart. We can walk and chew gum. We can do both. Um, yes, I think we should pull some of our resources um, and have a system of schools, right? For, 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 for students. I don't know what I feel about exclusivity. You know, you notice I didn't say just for our kids. Right. I didn't say that. I'm careful about that. Again, you can bring on other guests who, who have much better articulation around that. I just, I have some senses of, you know, how do we do to them what they did to us? Right. right. You know, they told us we couldn't go. Now we're saying they can't go. I'd like, I, I just have some opinions about that that may not match the opinions of the audience. And I don't want to get no crazy email, so I'm going to stay away from it. Um, but I, I do think I do think we have done a better job. My, my fraternity brought in its first non... My, my fraternity is a historically black fraternity. And it brought in its first non-African-American in the 1950s. We have always been a more welcoming people. The reason, what was his name, Dylan Roof, was able to go into that black church is because we didn't mind him being there. Our doors have always, we've always been open. The NAACP wasn't exclusive. They, they, they have white members, you know, uh, Dr. George Iggers, uh, who was one of the crafters of the Little Rock Nine um, lawsuit, uh, uh, was a non-African-American member of the National Advancement, National Organization for the Advancement of Colored People. I mean, like, we've always had open doors. I wouldn't want us to stop being that. All right, so back to your question. I absolutely think we should pool our resources, but I also think LeBron James, Jalen Rose, and anyone else should be able to look at the specific needs of their community and say, I need something unique here. I don't think we should take that away from them. Um, uh, and I think that community may be open to our network of schools coming into that community and, and chartering or founding something there as well, because every learner is different. Every student is different. And we should not ever. You're not going to convince me as an educator to say one thing for all learners. That's not the way learners work. So I, I think we I think we can do both. OK, OK. Um, hmm. <laughs> that's a good that's a good answer um so uh man you got me stuck here i done messed so, up the man's podcast y'all right right 
So eighty. All right. So eighty percent of teachers are white. Yeah. Seventy-seven percent of them are female. Yep. People of color make up twenty percent of teachers. A mere two percent are black men. Why is that? And how do we increase the numbers for black male educators? All right. So I, I'm probably gonna mess up my answer and mess you up on this one too. Here's another place where we have to be very careful. We don't only want to pay attention to those studies that favor our preconceived view. So yes, Johns Hopkins said, that the study out of Johns Hopkins said, excuse me, that if a black student sees at least one black teacher, we've increased their chances of success. If they see at least two black teachers, we've increased their chances of success even greater. We like that, right? We like that. But we can't ignore the other studies. Uh, for example, way back in 2006, there's a, a study, I believe it came out of Oxford, that says, and, and it's done by a bunch of uh, uh, really cool folks, uh, some of whom were from historically black colleges here in the country, that talked about the value and the benefits of a diverse teaching population. So like, are we gonna ignore that one because this other one favors our preconceived, like we like the notion of gotta have a black teacher. So how do we- merge? Yeah, man. How do we how do we how do we merge those thoughts and look at research as a whole? So we absolutely need more African American teachers, but we also need a more diverse po uh, teaching population, which means more than just African American teachers. So I think that's the first step: is looking at the complexities of the research and drawing from it what we need, not just the ones that that gonna help us with our argument. Okay. Um, uh, so that that that's that's a great place to start. There are a lot of reasons, in my humble opinion, as to why we don't see more of us. Number one, we haven't made it attractive. Do you do you see do you see AAU clubs for teachers for teaching in our community? Right. Do you see right. we don't see parents fighting to get their kids in the best pre-teaching club? Like we don't even think that way. And we haven't strategically planned that way. These are not, this is not the career that's emphasized in our community as something that's valuable and is gonna benefit us down the road. And I won't do the stereotypical statement of what is being emphasized, but your listeners know. Right, right. We know right. what we're trying to get our young black men, we know what we're doing. And uh and so now for those households that do stress education and, and those types of things. We don't emphasize this career as one we should pursue. One, you're going to end up financially strapped because it don't pay enough money. Like, it's not attractive. The system itself hasn't made it itself attractive. So, right. uh, and then thirdly, we don't have a pipeline um, of, of teachers. I think, it's, I think it's similar to why we don't see a lot of Black coaches at the NFL level, despite the, the systemic racism of NFL coaching and the ownership and so on. But th there's a pipeline that needs to be there and we don't have it in education. We don't have pre-teaching programs in high schools. High schools are not partnered with colleges that say, if you graduate from the pre-teaching program, you're automatically accepted to said college. And how about this? We're gonna pay for it. And then the school system hasn't said, if you graduate from our high school and you attend our partner college, we have a job waiting for you back in our community. Right. Like we don't have the pipeline back home. And not just teachers, social workers, 
school psychologists, school guidance. We don't only need black teachers, school administrators. Right. Like we we got to be teach. We, we must teach kids those various things they can do in public education. And I wish we had that pipeline. So those are those are the kinds of things I think we, we can we can do some correction on that will will in, increase the number of students, uh, uh, students going into education. But we have to acknowledge that it's just not an attractive career. And, and I think we choose to go for other things, both academically uh, in college and careers outside of education that are far more appealing financially, um, recognition. And so, I mean, let me, let, me go, let me do one more. Let me do one more, one more piece of this. Think about the recognition, sir. Many schools during the pandemic, have the teachers have been teaching remotely, right? They stayed on the job. But when you saw the, 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 the Blue Angels do the flyovers to celebrate first responders and their hard work during the pandemic, you didn't see them fly over schools. Right. They went to hospitals. When you heard politicians and everyone else talk about first responders, everyone acknowledged the doctors in the hospitals and the nurses in the hospitals. And, you know, you had to go to Facebook and find some parents telling jokes about, can y'all hurry up and get back to school? Because I got to get this kid out of my house. I don't know why y'all do it. But there was no national recognition of principals and counselors and school social work. We weren't even considered as a part of the national celebration of essential workers who have kept our industry going even remotely or in hybrid models. It's just not recognized. So why would your son want to come do this? Right. Right. On the, yeah. On the, on the last podcast, I had a, a black carpenter and we were, we were saying that, you know, cause they have a small share of the, that's that space. And we were saying that it's not glamorous. It's not glamorized. It's not glamorous. Nope. Mm. Nope. Mm. I, I get a lot of questions from even my own students. And, and, and you know what? It's, it's really a shame um, because their reasoning is understandable but sad to me. What they do is they look at that wall behind me right now that maybe your audience won't see in an audio podcast, but behind me is hanging a bunch of copies of my degrees. Yeah. And so they'll come in, they'll want to talk to me and they'll say, Dr. Hardy, can I look on the wall? And they'll see Xavier, Harvard, two doctorates. And the one they focus on is Harvard, mm. right? And they say, Dr. Hardy, you went to Harvard? And I say, yeah, I did. Got my master's degree from Harvard. They said, then why are you here with us? Wow. I've gotten that every place I went. Why are you why are you here with us? Because we assume that people who have experienced some blessings in life, like you're not coming back to help us. Why are you even here? You should be at another school. And I look at them and say, well, where else would I be? Mm. Where else am I going? Well, you know, I'm, I'm here because this is where I choose to be. And it takes a while for them to comprehend it. Anyway, my point is that even those types of questions get at the heart of what your 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 carpenter your your guest who was the carpenter got. Right. A, this ain't glamour. Why are you even doing it? Surely you could be doing something else with all this education. No, my. If you look at the the degrees, they say education. This is where I'm supposed to be working. This is what right. I trained for, and they don't see it. Mm. They don't see it, man. Um, the the other piece I'll give you is they don't th they don't think it pays any money. And for a lot of spots, it doesn't, right? So I've had students, like when I speak to classes, I tell them, pull out pull out your, your phones. And they do. And I say, pull up the calculator. And they do. And then I'll, on the screen, show the average salary 
of a school administrator in Illinois. And I'm gonna make up a number and I'll say, they'll see $145,000 a year. And I say, okay, you divide that by 12. I just keep it simple, divide that by 12. And they see the number. I said, so that's how much money that person makes a month on average. And if you could see their eyes, mm. go, what? And I go, okay, now divide that number of the month by two, because you get paid every two weeks, right? right. And they divide it. And I say, so would you like to bring home $8,000? Yeah, yeah, right. And not have to look over your shoulder for it? Mm. You know, and they were like, I didn't know principals or, you know, assistant principals can make decent, right? Because this is not the career we tell you about. We want you to think millions and a Nike endorsement and a video and a clothing line, like these are the things we glamorize and we celebrate, but we don't we don't celebrate black males in education. I mean, think about how long it took for me to end up on your podcast and it's the first one. Mm. You're talking 20 years for, for somebody to say, bring this black. Now, I'm not saying I'm special and should have been brought on, but that one listener was like, well, who does he think he is, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we don't get invited to conversations like this where we can be highlighted and our careers can be talked about as important to our community, valuable in terms of impact. And if you work it right, you can do okay financially. You can take care of your family. Now I admit I'm not gonna have, I might not have a, a shoe endorsement and all of that as a, as a principal, maybe that'll happen one day, but that's not why I'm doing it. Right. So yeah, your, your guess was correct. Not glamorized, I agree. Now, would you say that in order to be in your position, do, do you take a, a, a paternalistic role, a paternal role or no? Uh, uh, it's not a no, it's an absolute yes. Mm. Um, um, there are other roles uh, that, that you take on. Uh, an African-American male, high school principal in a school full of black and brown kids. I have, uh, you know how this works. It, st I, it still works this way, as far as I know. I have students who have told other students, y'all know Dr. Hardy's my uncle. <laughs> like, I've had students, and it's so flattering, man. I, mm. I say it, I'm joking a little bit, but I ain't gonna lie to you, it melts my heart, right? I've had students walk down the hall, they won't call me Dr. Hardy. They won't call me Mr. Hardy. They won't even call me Patrick. Here's what they say going down the hall, hey dad, Mm. Um, I've had students tell other students that I was their big brother. And um, there was a young lady standing in the hallway one day and they were having an argument. She was having an argument. I could tell it wasn't nothing you know, crazy, but I started making my way. And so one of the girls said, here he come down. We could just ask him, right? And if you could have seen the other girl's face when she saw me, she was like, oh no. So I get down there, I'm like, yo, what's up y'all? What's going on? They were like, Dr. Hardy. She's saying, you her blood uncle. And we know she lying. Are you her blood uncle? And the girl was looking, and I saw the look on her face. So I said, yo, I thought I told you not to tell nobody we were family. <laughs> I thought I told you. We had this conversation privately. And she looked at, she, she went right where she was like, uncle, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have said anything. I said, look, I'm going to call home. I'm going to talk to mom. We're going to get a little conversation next time I see you, but you're not supposed to be telling people that, right? Mm. So I walk away. I get about 40 feet away. You know I got to turn back, right? So I look, and she was like, I told y'all. 
just a few minutes later, I saw that same young lady. Uh, you know, we were just in the halls and she walked up. She was like, Dr. Hardy, thank you so much. Right. So um, I have been counselor. I have been dad. Um, I have been uncle. I have been investigator. I have been protector. Um, yes, I've had to make that DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services call saying, get this kid out of this house. I've, mm-hmm. You take on all of that. And so absolutely, man, the paternal role is there. It's not the only role. Uh, I, I Some days I get exhausted and I wish I could just be the principal, but it just doesn't work that way. Um, uh, I give you one more quick story. I brought my youngest daughter who loves, she's, she plays basketball. I brought her to a basketball game. Proviso East is a beast, man. It's a beast athletically, right? So I wanted her to see the girls play, get to the game. Young lady comes over. She's a senior. She's in the historic Proviso East marching band. And she was like, Dr. Hardy, who is this? And I said, that's Caitlin. And she was like, this your daughter? And I said, yeah. She looked at her and said, oh, what's up, little sis? I'm your big sister because that's my dad. And my daughter looks at her. I, 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 I had never seen a look like that on her face. She was like, who does this girl think she is? And then they <laughs> and they spent, until she had to play in the band, they spent several minutes together and she just talked, they just talked about, they talked about dad. Like they were, these are two girls. One is my daughter, one is my play daughter, who I didn't know until that moment that she was my play daughter. And they're just talking about how mean I can be, how strict I can be, how cool I can be. And my daughter talked about it on the way home. She was like, that was kind of weird at first, you know, to hear somebody else say that you're their father, but it was actually kind of cool. And um, she was like, do a lot of, a lot of young ladies say that? And I was like, a few young ladies have said that to me. Um, but yeah, the girl walked right over to her and told her, no, that's my dad too. What's up, little sis? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. How, how do you feel? About that? Mm-hmm. Um, I love it, man. I, I've, 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 it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. I won't lie to the audience or you. It's exhausting. But, man, I, I absolutely love it. And uh, I'm passionate about it. I've, I've had the opportunity to um, help students get to college, not as principal, in that paternal role, you know, walking them through the process, going to the house, sitting at the kitchen table, um, sometimes sitting in the car, sometimes standing on the sidewalk outside because you know, I've run into those situations where the parents are like, Doc, man, my house is, I can't let you in my house. I'm too ashamed to let you in. And we just stand outside, the whole family, like we just stand out and talk and walk through things. And I've, I've had to, you know, I've, I've ruined a few suits as those that, that tears, you know, in my chest as, as brother was shot cousin was shot and killed. Uh, um, um, I, it, that part of it is exhausting, but you absolutely have to see, watch me now in that paternal, I got to see my kids make it. Hmm. And you do everything you can uh, to, to, to help them make it. And I just got a call, shout out to my little brother, Alexis Gomez, uh, who's in college right now. He just graduated from Proviso East. He has my phone number. And he just called in the middle of the day to say, what's up? He was like, "What's up?" Like he still calls me Doctor Hardy. He won't call me Patrick. He can't bring himself to do it. Uh, I'm like, "Man, I'm not your principal anymore." Uh, and uh, he won't call me Patrick. And and I respect that. I don't force it. But he's like, "Doctor Hardy, I just called to check in. We talked about school. Asked him how's his money. You know. Now this is a young Latino. This is a Latinx kid. Um, and here's this black man. You know, he's just reaching out. Needed a few things, and 
uh, I, I've been, you know, I've, I, he's been in my car and we've been talking through a lot. I love this young man, man, like to no end and would do anything in the world for him. And uh, um, you can't beat a feeling like that. Um, I know a, a lot of people, I think maybe the, the doctor's role might come close when you see that patient walk out and they're healthy and you know you play the nurse, you know, my place. I, I, I don't know. I think it comes close, but I don't know if you can beat what we get to feel um, in public, in, in education, in education. I don't know if you get to beat that feeling, man. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, now earlier you mentioned um, like school, school, school psychologists, and I know in the Chicago area, there's a lot of, lot of, um, there's a lot of troubled youth, you know, as is everywhere, but you know, there's a lot of um, gang activity. Um, and I'm not familiar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this artist, King, King Vaughn. He was from mm. Chicago. Yeah. Um, right before he died, he went on a podcast and he was talking about the gang violence in Chicago. And he was saying how a lot of it comes from them not having conflict resolution skills. So, is that something that you work on with your kids? Yeah, we do. Uh, we we use um, uh, uh, in, in the state of Illinois. Uh, they they have some laws uh, and regulations on you know suspensions and those types of things. And so uh, you want to be very careful about just throwing people out because they got into an argument and, and those types of things. And so we use a lot of restorative justice. We bring students together in uh, peace circles and we have students talk it out. Um, so we have a, a lot of skilled facilitators leading those conversations with students. Um, uh, we do have some community partners that will come in and help with that work. And by the way, even informally, I have a network of people that, uh, that I feel so blessed here at Proviso East. Um, I, I can pick up the phone and call a couple of alum who are still here in the community and are very involved and say, I need you. I got a situation. Um, or uh, I got a couple of folks that are here in the community doing grassroots work at certain churches and organizations. I got a couple of pastors um, that I can call on and say, get here to the school. I need your help. Now, here's the interesting thing. You ask me if we do conflict resolution, the answer is yes. The question, though, is how do you prevent having to do the conflict resolution? And so all of that talk I did earlier around, you know, providing the type of education where students are being held to high standards and they're doing rigorous work and seeing themselves be successful. When you can do that, that's how you get to that 87 percent drop in discipline. You see what I'm saying? We don't have time to be arguing and fighting and and all of that kind of stuff because I'm engaged in the work and I'm seeing myself be successful. I have the proof that I, I can be successful. We have, and, and I use that word very intentionally. We have something here called pirate proof. And every month we celebrate those students who have demonstrated their pirate proof. They were positive, respectful, open-minded, obedient, um, and focused. And teachers recommend them for that proof recognition for some demonstration in the language of one of those letters that I just gave you. And so I think just last month we had some 300 and something students recommended to be recognized. They get, they get the little swag bag. We go to the house, you know, get celebrated. Um, there was a young lady walking through the halls, right? And uh, she was having a little moment. 
yelling, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat her. I better not find it. She got the crowd following her. And there's a young man following her saying, hey, you know we're not going to let you fight. You know, you know that's not going to happen here. Mm. But here's what he was doing. Every time he passed a camera, one of the school cameras, he looked up and pointed at himself to say to the camera, you see me, right? You see me, right? And then he, he kept trying to calm the young lady down. And so when it came time for pirate proof, he made sure that he reminded us that he was the one that kept that fight from happening. He said, go look at the cameras. Y'all know y'all gonna see me chasing that fight down to make sure it didn't happen. So I'm gonna be at the next pizza party, right? Here's, here's my point. That student that I'm talking about, he left our school two years earlier when the local gang shot up his house. Hmm. And he went down south. You know how it goes. We sent him down south. Right. After things calmed down, he came back. Same student at one point had his foot out the door, right? Comes back and he's all about how can I contribute to this school community? And I want to be celebrated. I'm going to make sure you know that I'm trying to do the right thing. We laughed at it. By the way, he made it to every pirate proof celebration every month for that school year because he was fine. Think about this, man. He was finding ways to do good because good was celebrated here in our school. We're going to find a way to recognize you. Young ladies walking on crutches uh, and can't carry her lunch tray. And so a young man ran up, took the lunch tray and said, let me carry that for you. Where are you going? Followed her, got her seated the whole nine, and then went over to one of the adults and said, hey, you saw me carry that lunch tray, right? I'm going to get to the pizza party. Y'all going to get me to the pirate proof party. Right? <laughs> <laughs> did you do it for the party or did you do it for her? He was like, no, it's both. But like making our young men feel that it's okay to be good. Mm. And to, so we hope to not get to the point of conflict resolution because it's okay to not even to be so focused on your schoolwork that you're not even engaged in the conflict to have to get to the resolution. So when we do get there, we try to do that first before we do all the other things. All right, man, you keep asking these loaded questions. All right, keep going. Go ahead. Oh man, oh man. Uh, no, I mean, because yeah, I think that's, that's very needed in that community. Like, how far is Maywood from Chicago? Hop, skip, and a jump. Okay, it, I I could be in Chicago in ten minutes. Oh, so that's still Cook County. Oh yeah, I'm in I'm I'm in the western part of Cook County. Okay, okay, okay. I, I got a I got a friend from Hammond, you know, Chicago land area. Yeah, yeah, yeah Hammond, said, Indiana. He said, yeah, he said it's kind of rough out there too. Hey man, if you in if you in the vicinity of Chicago, you collateral damage, baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let, let's let's stick to Chicago. Um, you know, I, I was just watching a documentary the other week about how the city was planned and when everybody came from down south, it was the great white flight. Everybody went out, you know, uh, even, even out of like Chicago and even Gary, um, everybody was placed in Cabrini, Cabrini just like this little small, this small area. It was Cabrini Green. And these yep. other projects you're familiar with, Taylor um, Homes, Pretty Green, yep, that, that they knocked down and everything, and you know everybody, everybody's moving out to like Hammond and and Gary. Um, I, I don't know. This is this, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to ask here. Um, 
how do you boost the morale of the whole school system in that area? Um, we get a lot of students from the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. uh, it, they did, they're just not going to Gary and other places. Uh, and then the, the few towns around us, we call them villages, the few villages around us, you might've heard of Oak Park, River Forest, High School, like they're actually Oak Park, River Forest is in between us and Chicago, another historic school out here in the area. And so they, they're, they're, they're villages like that, they have housing rules to make sure that folks can't even move in um, mm. and, and things like that. They've had, the, they've had that. And, and so we get a lot of those students and um, I don't know about boosting an entire system, especially one as large as Chicago. And then when you expand the issues to the larger area, uh, that, that's a tall, tall order. Here is what I think though. I, I think you, you take small steps, man. Okay. Uh, I think you have to have people in place in uh, or high school in Chicago, in Proviso East, in Maywood. You have to have you do it one school at a time. And then within that school, you try to do it one student at a time so that I, I can't remember that old adage, something about, you know, the tide makes all boats rise. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, I can't remember how that goes, but um, I think that I think. Huh. I think that's the smart approach is how do we ensure that we have people in place in all of these places, um, which is why I go back to my argument of college has got to be for us. How do you how do we get a, 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 a district attorney who's black when we keep saying you ain't got to go to college? Well, you got to have a law degree. Right. How do we get defense attorney? Like, if we're going for a systemic change, then we need us throughout the system. We have to be in the police department and in leadership positions. We have to be in politics as well as in leadership positions. We have to be business owners. Right. Not just workers, but we also have to be the workers. We this this notion that. Anyway, I, I just I just think we should be smartly sending our students to college um, as a first option, right? As a first option, let's try that first, uh, so that okay. we can get placement in all of these types of roles um, so that we can take that village. That, you know, Chicago is divided into neighborhoods, right? How do we bring that neighborhood up? Well, who's the alderman? Right. And 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 who's over the garbage disposal for that area? Who's got the grocery store? We have to be very strategic so that we're not being reactive. Um, and again, I think maybe a different guest may may be able to offer a more politically savvy approach to that. But I think we got to get smart, start. Starting several small places, but all at once as opposed to one big thing all at once. Take it school by school, neighborhood by neighborhood, and if we can, household by household. How are we helping the individual family and those individual students? Because every need is different. Right, right, right. Um, what advice would you give to- That was a tough question, man. 
Man, what what advice would you give to a, a you know a young black couple that you know that's about to have their children enter the school system? Um, couple things. First, prepare your 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 child before they get there. You know, you're having children. Um, my hope is that take a look at the community you want to live in. Um, pick up a phone, call the superintendent or their curriculum director, or quite frankly, just make it known. I, I just like to speak to a kindergarten teacher and just ask this question. What does my child need to know before they get to you? Make that list. Right. And then assure that your kid exceeds that right before they even get to the system what what are you what are you what is going to make my child be successful um so i i would want to know those things why am i saying that because i did it right now i had a little bit of a cheat i'm an educator okay. right but I, I would encourage parents while the babies are babies you know even before you while you plan what what is my ideal neighborhood you know the one you really want to live in right where does my kid, what does my kid have to have? Okay, so now the kid is enrolled. Um, stay involved, show up at the conferences. Uh, when the kid is home, it's not just about doing homework, right? Not just the homework, but what are you doing when there's no homework? to ensure that your kid is still advancing education. Remember, you know, I got a thing about turning on the television, dropping on a device. No, nah, man, you ain't got no homework, but still go read a book, 30 minutes. Matter of fact, go get the book, read it to me, 30 minutes. I want to hear you read. Hmm. Then let's have that discussion. But what do you think that meant? You know, how did that book make you feel, right? Okay, now, Nintendo Switch, have at it. You know, but what are you doing those things to enhance? As the student gets older, we see students abandoned once they get to high school. I use I, maybe that's a strong word, but uh, our parents will show up for sports at the high school level. They don't show up as much as the parent teacher conferences or for the kid that's in the play or the musical. We have a lot. We got a large auditorium. We don't pack that. We'll pack the gymnasium for the regional basketball game that we're in, though. Right. But the kid doing Shakespeare, like show up. They will, we will show up for kindergarten. Oh my God, look at my baby, look at my, like we do that at the younger age and it just falls off as, as our kids get older. So be involved, attend the conferences, stay in touch with the teachers, do the work, ask questions. And then lastly, from an education standpoint, this is my last point, uh, when the student, know when your student is not meeting the standards mm. and demand the help to get them on point. Don't let the kid leave kindergarten not ready. Mm. It's okay to say, hey, I want him to redo that and turn it in again. Mm. I'm gonna make him redo it. Like, make sure. Because um, mm. by third grade, it's too late. Mm. So remember early, I told you I was gonna read you some of these messages. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's a few of them. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Lord. Okay, boom. So here we go. So this is from um, 
This is from um don't call the names because I'm not gonna remember all these names. You're gonna <laughs> all right, so here's the here's the message. Here's the message. He's always he's always been my favorite teacher. I was weird and quiet till my first day in class. Less than 10 minutes into the class, he points and yells at me. Hey, don't I know you? I recognize him too, but couldn't place it. Later in class, he points out to me again. Wait, was you at the Baron Center, right? Didn't you kill somebody? He said that was <laughs> <laughs> He said that was so funny, but it broke the ice, made me laugh, and I paid attention. He was really engaging and always rep Chicago. I'm mad proud of him. Tell him I said what's up. Wow. Wow. I was a prankster. I ain't gonna lie, man. I was a prankster, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he said he said he you said you did good work at the Barron Center because of the respect you commanded as a troubled youth counselor. Yeah. I, I didn't even I didn't even know you were at the Barron Center before Westy. Right, right. I was at the Barron Center before Westy. I did I, I was I was in a, a very much an alternative setting before I came to the traditional setting over at uh, over at, I almost said Proviso East, over at uh, West Roxbury High School. Go ahead. Go ahead, right. sir. I'm sorry. Now, Ashley goes, my all-time favorite teacher. I was, oh. a transfer, I was a transfer student, and he always reminded me that history was his story and wanted to make sure we knew the real story. Mm. His and her black and white story. Wow. Whew. Somebody said, you haven't aged a bit. <laughs> oh man um how what else uh he was my favorite teacher very patient and understanding mm. um somebody said benson says that um he wants to thank you for always being true and to yourself um chantel mm. goes he's still the only teacher that i ever got an a in <laughs> <laughs> still still on my list of favorite teachers of all time he got me out of my shyness and loved my my plaid button-ups every day yeah. he would say every day he would say girl you you looking you looking sharp first confidence boost as an overweight shy teen he's the bomb yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um marcus emmanuel goes um he was the first teacher i could relate to when he shared his childhood stories, I felt like we grew up in the same neighborhood. In retrospect, mm -hmm. I realized. In retrospect, I realized that even though the time spent around him was short, the impact of his presence was long-standing. Wow. <laughs> um, when, um, Yasmin goes. I'll never forget. He told my class as we were prepping for the MCAS. When you go take a test, you better come in this room looking in your best, Sunday best, so we can feel your damnedest. And when you and when you pass, you'll feel cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I did tell you the dress board, man. You going to take the stage? <laughs> why not? Why not put on a little something, something? Make yourself feel confident walking out the door, walking in. Everybody else will think it's weird, but you don't really care about what they're thinking. Dress up, man. Put it on. Well, you know, you let's let's stay, let's step let's step away from the classroom. Uh, you, you as a black man, how how do you feel like us as black men should present ourselves? Uh, uh, first of all, I am tore up right now. I'm gonna compose myself after you read those comments, man. That I so appreciate 
your willingness to share. And uh, if, if uh, any of those folks are going to be in the audience on this one or are in the audience on this one, man, that uh, you, you just melted me. It's hard for me to even think about the question you just asked. That was just extremely powerful and much needed. And for those of you who understand what I mean by this, you never know what another person is going through. Hmm. And those comments come at the right time, in the right. That is nothing but God. And I don't have time to tell you why I think today you read those comments. They could have been read any other day. We could have chose any other day to have this conversation. Hmm. And, and so I would encourage people listening Look for those signs. Look for those things. I, I'm not going to get into I'm a church boy. I won't put that on your audience. But man, he sends it right at the right time. That that was absolutely perfect. I think we should present ourselves as ourselves. Mm. You're looking at the screen right me. You know, I know you see these earrings in my ears. I'm almost right. 50 years old. I like my earrings. Mm. I've had them for since you knew me. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's always been pierced. It, it It's just part of who I am. Why should I take them out? Cause somebody else thinks something. Hey, listen, man, I ride motorcycles. Mm. I love my, my, my 2018 victory Magnum. That's who I am. I just got my Xbox series X, which you can't even find one. Right. right? right. I love my first person shooters. Mm. I love Assassin's Creed. I am who I am. Right. Um, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a black man. I got a great education. I don't wear that on my sleeve. I'm just a regular dude. I don't have to be something that I'm not because of the degrees hanging on the wall. I think we should be ourselves and we should continue to force them to accept us. We should force whoever them, whoever they are, force them to accept us. Why do I say that? Let me be, let me, let me, here I go again, be myself. They appropriate half of our stuff anyway. If we pull our pants down, eventually they pull their pants down. If we were using the N-word, eventually I was sitting on a train in Boston mm -hmm. and heard two Asian kids call each other the N-word. Nigga, what you talking about? Right. I looked up. I'm like, did he really just say? Right. Like, everything we do is cool. Everything we do becomes cool. They hate it at first, Right. I, I know there's a there's a news a pundit on MB, MSNBC. Half his shows he ends with some quote from a black rapper, as Buster would say, as Nas would say. There's a white boy, you know. Like everything we do is cool. We should keep forcing them to accept us. Mm. There is a racism underneath assimilation. There's a racism. I, I ain't trying to assimilate. I'm not trying to be what you want me to be. I'm going to be who I am. And if you don't like it, then don't like it. I, I was giving a speech one time to a chamber of commerce. And I said this phrase in this community where I lived. Ain't nobody coming to save us. The editor decided in one of the papers to focus only on that statement. Here is this well-educated black man using the word ain't. She was going to try to cancel me. Right. She didn't focus on any of the other message. So at graduation that year. Right. So you got to be careful when somebody else has a platform. Right. <laughs> right. 
So now I'm speaking to the whole, by the way, the, in that community, it was only one high school. So everybody's there, the mayor, it, it, you know, I had all their children, the police chief. If, if you had a kid in high school, they went to my high school. Steve, I, I can be a butthole sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I use the word ain't like 40 times in mm -hmm. my speech mm -hmm. with intention. Right. I noted to my students that that article had been written. And one of my next statements was, that lady ain't bothering me. Mm. You can't let what other, and I gave a little speech behind that. And then I used the word ain't, and I used the word, I had used the word intentionally in the speech when I gave it the first time. Now you gonna try to cancel me? Mm. Oh no, you done messed up. Cause I'm gonna get the whole community on June 1st. I mean, I was planning that speech for we, I, ain't, I didn't write the paperback. I didn't say, so anyway, we should present ourselves. We should be professional. We should, we should, we should, I want people to like me. I, you ever heard people say, I don't care if people like, no, I do. I kind of want, want to be liked by people, but I'm not going to change. Hey, I ride motorcycles. I play Xbox. I own guns, mm. license. They're legal. I go to the shooting range. It's just something I like, you know, and, and most certainly you can imagine, uh, I started owning guns when I became a school administrator because uh, in certain communities I was in, I had to deal with some cats who told me I was messing with their money because I was trying to stop the, the drug dealing in my school. And I had to deal with some threats. My house was vandalized because of what I was doing. I had to protect my family and I had to make sure I was protected. You're not coming in my house on me and my babies. Like, I'm not going to stop being that because you don't like hearing me say I'm not a gun. I, I like guns and I'm a gun. Owner. I don't own 40 of them, but I got enough to do what I need to do. And and I know how to use them. So those are the unique things about me. That's who I am. And I think we should present ourselves as who we are and we should force people to accept it as long as we're not being unreasonable. I'm not talking about being stupid, you know, just we should be ourselves and 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 demand that you not force us to assimilate. Like you got to nurture me to be something better because what I am is not good enough. I, I don't need you to do that for me. Just just accept me. Mm. Now. When, when it's all said and done, and you you, you put your jersey in the, in the in the rafters, what 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 do you want to be your legacy? It's a great question. Um. I have a picture of a former student. On the back, he signed it. And he says, I am your legacy. Wow. wow. That's the answer to the question. I, I, want, I want the students that I impacted, uh, and I hope that I did. I, I believe I heard some evidence today that I might have I might have had a little bit of an impact on some, right? right? And so my prayer and hope is that those, whatever that impact was, that is my legacy. It doesn't have to be articulated, it has to be lived. Hmm. Right? And whatever those young people, I mean, think about how many people I've been at this for 25 years. Hmm. Think about the thousands of students I've interacted with. I hope I got to some of them hmm. and the, to the sum that I got to that, I hope is the legacy that when, when the casket is laid out front, 
right? I I, I pray that the, 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 the church gets packed. They ain't got enough room because it's a bunch of 60, 70 year old former students in there saying, I, I am his legacy. And, and whatever their life story is, whatever two, four, five, 1% of that that I contributed to, I want them to be able to say that part of my life is because of him. And that you can't hang in a raptor. You can't put that on a gravestone, bro. You, you got to just let that be lived. And I know that's not a wrapped up answer, yeah. but I really, that, that's really the answer that I have. Secondly, secondly, uh, uh, behind me, there's a picture of a lion. Right. It's a reminder to me. It's not for anybody else. I see it when I come in the door that faces it. There's a wonderful book called Chase the Lion. And uh, what it talks about is what is that thing that is your biggest fear? That's your lion. Chase it. It's a story from the Bible where the guy is being he's being stalked by this lion. He turns on the lion, chases the lion and kills the lion. And every listener on here, you included, we all have that thing that we've been putting off. We might be afraid to do. We're a little nervous to do. I'm going to do that later. I'm going to go back and get that master's degree. I'm going to just do it later. I'm going to get that doctorate. I'm going to do it later. You know, I'm going to own my business, but I'm going to do it later. I'm a little nervous. I don't have what it takes. Uh, what Mark Batterson says is we have to figure out how to chase that line. I love the statement from his book that says, if your dream does not scare you, it's too small. It's too small. It's not big enough, right? It ain't even big enough. So I hope that people will say about me, he chased every lion he had. And he slayed them. And, he slayed those. And, yeah. he, and he won, baby. Mm -hmm. And he won. And he won. So, yeah. Now, when they do the movie about your life in 10 years, who, who do you want to play you? Uh... <laughs> Man, I don't know if anybody could get down with this, dog. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's cool. You know, one of my favorite black men, uh, my favorite black male actors, forgive me, My favorite, one of my favorites is obviously people like Denzel Washington and uh -huh. uh, uh, Brother Jordan, Michael B. Jordan has popped up on that list of late, as you know. Right. Uh, but uh, if I had to, to pick one because of emotional impact, those types of things, um, uh, I, I'm not even gonna call his real name. I'm gonna just call out T'Challa. Yeah, yeah. I if I could bring him back, God rest his soul. If I could bring him back and have that talent, uh, bring life to a, a you know whatever it is I might have done, I would love to see that brother on the on the on the screen. Mm. Um. But but if but if if Denzel wanted to go over to West Roxbury High School and stand in the middle hall and be me and say King Kong oh, ain't yeah. got nothing, if he wanted to do that, I wasn't gonna be mad at him. I ain't gonna be mad at him. <laughs> man, um, listen, this has been a great conversation, man. Like it's been yeah, 20, 20 years, man. I mean, yeah, over twenty years since I first stepped into your class. So that's yeah. and uh, you know um. I first, I first went back to to see where you have gone. This was like three years ago. I was like, "Yo, let me let me see what uh, Mr. Park, Mr. Hardy is," and um, I think that was like 2017, 2018. But you know, I wasn't really 
ready to, I didn't have the platform to have the conversation until now. And I'm like, man, you know what? I want to, I want to talk to this guy, but, um, you know, I've, I've been, I've been, um, I've been looking at you from a distance, man. And, um, I'm proud, man. It, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to be able to call, to call you Dr. Hardy, but at the same time too, I, I just, I feel this sense of this proudness, man. Man. First of all, my mother named me Patrick, mm. and she will tell you that in a minute. And so Patrick is my name. I appreciate the respect. I did. I earned it. I know I earned it and all of that. Uh, this has been an honor. Uh, before you let me off, I got to give a big shout out to West Roxbury High School student, former student of mine, Noah Lani Guerrero. Guerrero, yeah. Uh, she, was, she and I remain in touch to this day. She was, uh, in fact, until you, she's the only student that I actually have uh, she found me, man. She found me. Uh, uh, in fact, she 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 found a teacher. I don't even know how she found a teacher. I can't remember the story. She's like, dude, can you get me in touch with him? And uh, we we connect and talk on the phone regularly. Noelani, what's up? Uh, appreciate you. Much love to you. Uh, Mr. Noel, thank you so much for having me. Um, I hope that there will be something useful uh, to some listener. Um, even if, if even if it was just fun to to listen to for a few minutes, thank you so much for having me, and uh, shout out to all those West Roxbury High School students uh, who had the the uh, who unfortunately ran into Mr. Hardy back in the day. Uh, thank you all so much. <laughs> thank, you. thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to Black Man Renaissance.